a new way of relating to the world. And we want to kind of continue that theme as we look at Ecclesiastes 6, recognizing that you can have it all and not have anything at the same time. And the question we might want to consider is, does Jesus offer something better? I think the answer to that is yes, but but certainly look at Scripture and see if we can come to that conclusion as we do. So I'm going to read Ecclesiastes. I'm going to focus on 1 through 9 of chapter 6. We'll return to the very end of chapter 6 next week. uh, But as this took shape, I've really focused my attention on verses 1 through 9. So I'll stop reading there. Uh, Scripture reading is in the bulletin on page 7 or on page 556 in the Pew Bible or however you want to follow along. Hear God's word. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his year of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place all the toil of man is for his mouth yet his appetite is not satisfied for what advantage has the wise man over the fool and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite this also is vanity and a striving after wind may god bless the reading of his word this morning Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray as we hear your word that you would illumine our hearts and minds, help us to understand, help us to see new things, behold wondrous gifts from your word. Lord, we thank you uh, that you continue to teach us. You continue to lead us. You continue to forgive us. We thank you for your patience and loving kindness with us, your people, And we pray that you continue to use your word in our hearts and minds, leading us in your will and your way. Father, we know that this is only possible through your son, so it is in his name that we pray. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. It's a good verse. Great verse to memorize. Also, sometimes maybe gets used in ways that Paul couldn't have imagined. He's not thinking of an athlete who's about to run a a, you know a hundred yard dash. Uh, He's not thinking of a student who hasn't studied going into a test. He's not thinking of an employee who's about to go ask his boss for a big raise. Now, certainly, it's good for us to apply the strengthening of Christ to every circumstance. There's nothing wrong with that, certainly. But we don't have to imagine what context Paul has in mind when we hear or say 
that verse. For just before that, Paul says, this is Philippians 4, 11 and 12, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of pl- facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The strengthening of Christ comes in the midst of our circumstances, in particular, the ones that we would never want. We recognize and we're learning that the Lord has given us a life that is greater than anything that we will find in this world or that we might lack. Paul says that he's learned twice. I've learned to be content. And if I'm honest, I'm still learning. And maybe you are learning with me. Ecclesiastes helps us as we see the, the preacher, the author, continuing to look at the absurdity of gaining the whole world and yet losing your soul. The author's providing perspective. And that's the exact opposite of advertisers, isn't it? I, I know that we have truth in advertising laws. Right? They, they can't say something about their product that, that isn't true. Factually. Uh, you know, if it says it works one way, it has to work that way. But nothing of those laws touch the human heart. Right? They make promises again and again. This thing will fulfill you. There's no truth in advertising laws that touch such promises. And we find again and again that those promises fall short. And so Ecclesiastes is providing us greater clarity about the emptiness of this world with all of its vain promises. And so my theme this morning is simple. Grace is greater than gain. Grace is greater than gain. So I want to talk about three things. True wealth, an everlasting name, and real, per, real satisfaction. So first, true wealth. And the author of Ecclesiastes starts with the Pretty stark picture, once again. There is an evil, verse 1, that I've seen under the sun. It lies heavy on mankind. Here's the picture. A man to whom God has given everything. He has wealth and he has possessions and honor. He lacks nothing. And yet he's not able to enjoy them. It says, God. yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. This is almost like verse 19 in chapter 5 that we looked at last week. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. So what's the difference? One man is content with what God has provided. Another man has everything, but is discontent. He's not able to enjoy what he has achieved. He's accumulated what he wanted and finds that, well what he thought might be waiting there at the end of the rainbow isn't actually there. Maybe joy or peace or rest or power or privilege or whatever it may be. And so that quest for more has to continue. And the end of verse 2 is somewhat stark. Here's a man who has everything and yet isn't able to enjoy it, and someone takes it away. A stranger enjoys it, but he doesn't. 
Now, we're not told how that happens. Is it stolen? Is it a, a, you know, kind of a consequence of war or famine or something along those lines? We're not told, but here's a person who's worked their way to the top. They've never stopped to smell the roses, as we say, and then it's all taken away. And there's a pretty blunt evaluation. This is an evil in this world. He says, this is grievous, a grievous evil. This is the world that we live in. And the more wealth we accumulate, the greater potential for harder and more lasting losses. It's not the particular circumstance that matters. It's simply that it does happen. So why do we need to learn? Well, we learn because we continue to look at the things of the world and say, ah, that's what I need. We're learning that grace is greater than gain, that what the Lord offers to us through Christ is a true wealth that is not at risk because it's not found in this world, but in the Son of God who came for us. You remember 2 Corinthians? Uh, we, we studied that not too long ago, and, and Paul was talking in chapter 6 about all the things he experienced. He put no obstacle in anyone's way. Uh, verse 4, this is chapter 6, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger. I mean, there's a lot of things there. There's some positive things that he goes on to say, but at the end of that section, he says about themselves that we are as unknown and yet well-known as dying and behold we live, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing but possessing everything. The only way that Paul can say that he has nothing and yet possesses everything is through Christ. This is a true wealth that is rooted in the grace of God that takes even the hardest circumstances and uses them for our good and God's glory. So just three quick applications at this point. If the Lord has provided us wealth or material blessings, then we should ask the Lord to lead us in their use. A good prayer to pray that I think God would answer is, how can I glorify you through this that you've given to me? Thankfully, on the whole, we see that within Christianity. Christian, this is according to Barna Research Group, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022 at $300 billion total. Christian Christians also outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. So God's answering that prayer as we pray, Lord, help us to glorify you in the use of the gifts that you have given to us. But it's a good prayer to pray. Secondly, invest in eternity. Invest in the fruit of the Spirit. Invest in learning Scripture, in prayer, in trusting God. No, I can't measure those things. I can't show you an account, but I can tell you that those investments will be worth it. They also can't be taken from you. 
you know, in the crypto world, and I don't really understand it all, uh, I, but cryptocurrency, there were $3.9 billion in losses last year. And most of that is attributed to hacks. So it's an electronic currency, and it was taken away from people. And it's lost. And I can't imagine that's something that anyone would be happy about. That's not to say that, y- you know, it's wrong to invest in the stock market or in cryptocurrency. But when you're considering what you are investing in, at the very least, consider investing in that which cannot be stolen. What did Jesus say? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then finally, uh, I came across this quote from Zig Ziglar who said, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. That is to say that the grace at work in you is your most important belonging. How God is working, he may bless you or he may not, but the grace that is operative in you is more important than any gain you may realize or any loss you may suffer. That's what true wealth is. Also, is an opportunity for us to have an everlasting name. Now, there's a desire to be known that is written into the human heart. It's how we dream. Now, in recent years, there have been surveys done for middle sco- uh, among middle schoolers. What do you want to be when you grow up? Now, thankfully... There's still a desire to be astronauts and teachers and other things along those lines. But now, at least in one survey, about 30% of these middle schoolers that were surveyed desire to be influencers. Social media influencers, because that's the world that we live in. And that taps into the desire to have a name. It used to be that we dreamed of having a name in lights. Now it's a name on line. And from a distance, those people seem to have it all. The key word, of course, is seem. Isn't it? We look out and we see the world and we say they seem to have it all. But the reality is often far different. You might have a name that lasts. You could be a Wikipedia entry. You could be in the history book. Maybe a few people will get a statue. Probably none of us, right? And there's no guarantee of that. But we've all had this experience. You're around the water cooler at work, or you're talking with some people, and where there's a a distance in age, maybe different generations, and you mention a, a, to you, a famous actor or actress or a musician, and the person goes, who? (laughs) How do you not know? Fill in the blank. But, you know, that verse goes true, too. If you were to watch the Grammys and the popular music acts of the day, how many of those people would you know? And I'm not talking about the person who's getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. Right? How many, the same thing, you go, who? Even in that, we see that the names come and go. They may be important for a time or important for uh, a certain segment of people, but they don't last. And imagine if you were to go overseas, because we get very focused in our American mindset, 
and you were talking about that famous actress. Guess what? The people in Thailand might go, who? Right? We get narrowly focused. Now, here, the author of Ecclesiastes is talking about someone who had a great name. Verse 3, another hypothetical. Uh, The way that someone was kind of a big person, big name. Uh, They had lots of children. And they lived a long life. That would have been the, the evidence of blessing in their lives. That's what verse 3 is talking about. This person has a hundred children and lives many years. But, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. So here's a man who would be considered to have a great name within the culture, within the society, a great life through the picture of his many children and his many years, and yet has nothing. No one laments his passing. That's what it means when it says he has no burial. No one's sad that he's gone. His children are just happy that they get their inheritance. That's the picture. And here's what shocks us. The author of Ecclesiastes says it would be better to be stillborn than to be that man. And that's a hard saying, a hard verse, but that's the point. To shock you out of your trance by the world's siren songs. To shake you and redirect you from our longing for a great name rather than a great grace. So... The author continues, verse 4, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, speaking of that stillborn child, and its name is covered in darkness. Moreover, it's not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. And basically, the author is saying, we're all going to die, every one of us. And so what is it that you're longing for, if this is true? If death is the same end for us all, right now he's saying it's better to have no life than a discontented life. We can be content with our names and our lives because of Christ. We probably won't be social media influencers. I'm probably not going to pastor a mega church. These things are okay because the goal sh- for us should be to be faithful, not famous. We should affirm what Solomon writes in Proverbs 22. A good name, this is one and two, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And a favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. We should also care more about the name of Jesus by which we are saved and sanctified than any other name. More than our own name, more than our family, more than our denomination, more than our country. That does not mean I don't love myself, (laughs) I don't love my family, I don't love my denomination, I don't love my country. But I should love the name of Jesus more than anything else. And you can fill in the blank on anything else. Your favorite university. Finally, we should know that we can be at rest because we are receiving an everlasting name in Christ. Jesus promises us as much. In Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I, Jesus says, will never blot his name out of the book of life. 
I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I cannot think of anything better than Jesus confessing my name before the heavenly father. If you have called upon the name of Jesus, then you have a name that is everlasting. And if that's the case, then you can and I can let go of my striving in this world for some measure of reputation, reputation, acknowledgement or fame. We can have a lot or we can have a little. But something greater awaits us. This is all by grace. And that's why I can say grace is greater than gain. Because none of us will be trading on our own names. But only on the name that is above all names. So grace is greater than gain when we know what true wealth is and what it means to have an everlasting name, which can lead us to a place of real satisfaction. Bruce Springsteen wrote and sang, everyone's everybody, excuse me, got a hungry heart. He's not wrong. Constant seeking to fill our hearts with the buffet of the world only leaves us wanting more. And that afflicts us all. Not simply, uh, it's not such a matter of, well, if you have some, then you don't, you're not, you don't have to worry about that. Or if you have a little, you, you, that's where you have to live. It's about our heart. It's about where we live there. And we attempt to soothe our souls with all sorts of things, because there's a hunger within us that cannot be satisfied apart from God. Verse seven, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. I, li- I like the way that Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. We work to feed our appetites. Meanwhile, our souls go hungry. That's his paraphrase of verse seven. And you see the Hebrew word for appetite here is the same word for soul. And Jesus is offering us something much better. A promise in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, that's a different kind of wanting than what the world leads us to. A different kind of longing, a different kind of hunger and thirst. And by God's grace, we are made righteous and we begin to seek God's righteousness because we have new hearts that know what real and lasting satisfaction is. There's a comedian that has a routine about parents who are always complaining and telling their children, you're going to ruin your appetite. Don't eat that. Don't eat that candy. Don't eat that whatever that snack. You're going to ruin your appetite. He says, Who cares if you ruin your appetite? When you get to be an adult, you understand that you that even if you ruin your appetite, there's another appetite coming right behind it. There's no danger, he says, in running out of appetites. I have millions of them. I ruin them whenever I want. That's kind of a good point, because that's the that's the nature of hunger, right? You can satisfy yourself, but you'll be hungry later. You'll be hungry tomorrow. You'll be hungry the next day. It returns over and over and over again. And the same is true when we prize the vanity and futility of wealth, pleasure, or possessions. It will be difficult for us to be truly satisfied 
we will simply have another appetite that will come right behind it. J.C. Ryle says, truly, money is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. There's trouble in getting it. There's anxiety in keeping it. There are temptations in the use of it. There's guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing it. And there is perplexity in the disposing of it. Verse 9 is a bit of a proverb. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. This is also vanity and a striving of the mind. It's something like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Is what you are able to have. Be satisfied with that. As opposed to constantly looking out and seeing something better. But we do struggle to live that out because everybody's got a hungry heart. Do you remember or know the only miracle other than the resurrection that is in all four Gospels? The feeding of the 5,000. When the Lord took a very little, a couple fish, some loaves of bread, and he multiplied it to meet the hunger of those who were following him and didn't have a meal to eat. And And we hear that after they had all ate, And were satisfied, they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So it's really feeding more than 5,000. That was a meal. That was a miracle. But what Jesus is showing us is something greater, something better. That he can take your meager resources, he can take what little you have, and he can multiply it to a real satisfaction. He offers us a satisfaction that will last for eternity. He's showing us that he's completely different than what the the world says. The world says you've got to have more and more and more. Jesus says, I'll take whatever you got, and I'll make it enough. I'll make it more than you need, and you will be satisfied, not just for a meal, but for eternity. And what he provides us, that real satisfaction, is not subject to supply and demand. There's no broken supply chains that are going <laughs> to mean that it's not on the shelves. It doesn't get moldy. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to fade or rust. Not going to be like a possum in the garage that I found this morning that scared me. You know, like, what are you doing? Like, get. I think he got. I'll conclude with this. Uh, Jenny Holzer, she's uh, an American artist, neo-conceptual artist. I don't know what that means. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, She's based in New York, and what she does is she takes words and ideas, and she displays them on public spaces. That's one of the main things she does, projecting them on buildings and such. And I came across one uh, of her pieces titled, Protect Me From What I Want. And it simply has the words over and over, what I want, what I want, what I want. Line after line after line. It's all crammed together. There's no punctuation or anything like that. What I want is repeated four times on each line. But in the midst of that, in a lighter typeface, there's that protect me from what I want. 
and it struck me. I don't think she's a Christian. I, I don't know for sure. I don't necessarily think she's coming from a Christian perspective. But, but that seems like a perspective that I can hold, that I can pray. I'm constantly in the world thinking what I want. And I need to pray in the midst of that, Lord, protect me from what I want. And that's another way that grace becomes greater than gain. Because the Lord indeed will protect us. Because what we want might be empty and hollow. But what God has offered to us in his son will never leave us wanting. And so not only, Lord, protect me from what I want, but also help me to know the great gain of grace. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Uh, There are parts particularly in Ecclesiastes, uh, but all over your scripture, words that I don't understand or that that I read and I go, why is that there? And yeah, I thank you that by your spirit, you open our hearts and minds. I pray that we would take your word from this place, not just in Ecclesiastes, but all that we've read and, and prayed and considered or that we read on our own. Would you lead us in your will and your ways? And indeed, Protect us from our sinful longings. Protect us from wanting even good things, but when we want them to be the ultimate thing. Lead us to a place of contentment in you. A place where we can rest. A place where we know that our name is everlasting, not because of us, but because of Christ. A place where we know that we will have all that we need and more beside. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.